on, we'll have Lou Schiff of Baseball and Law to stop by and discuss some of the legal aspects of baseball's labor negotiations. Joining me now is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you enjoying this wonderful baseball weather this week in Kansas City? Um, I so I was I worked from home today, and uh, my wife came home from uh, from her work because she was not working from home today, and I asked her. Is it really that warm outside? Like, I didn't believe that the weather app was telling me there was 82 degrees. And she said yes, which, you know, it makes sense. But it was just so warm that I didn't believe it, which is, you know, yay. I'm sure it'll be cold again soon. Yeah, I feel like we have one more snow left in us, you know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm i kind of the same boat. I uh, We have an older house, so it takes, like, it's like a day lag and like, if the temperature changes. So if it drops in temperature really quickly, like it'll still be kind of warm in our house and today it was still kind of cold in our house and that's uh, so why i didn't think it was warm outside until i went outside like oh I sh- it's shorts weather uh so yeah i'm glad you're able to enjoy the weather a little bit uh also joining us on the show is sean newkirk sean i hope you're able to take the dog out today yeah you know we have a decent sized backyard so the dogs just went in and out we i just left the door open so they went in and out in and out all day and they're pretty pooped just from being in and sitting in the sun and so it's been nice and working from home um it was just nice to kind of kick it with the windows and doors open for hopefully the first of many days uh, this year in Kansas City. Well, it, it, you know, it does seem like baseball weather, but we don't have any baseball games, unfortunately. Um, and, there, you know, we thought there was some hope this week that maybe owners and players could come to an agreement ahead of the uh, MLB self-imposed deadline on Monday to get a deal done before regular season games would be canceled the two sides met for 15 hours that day uh ultimately owners didn't move much off their position though they made an offer to the players which was quickly rejected and that led to uh rob manfred on tuesday officially canceling the first week of games so the 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 royals will not begin the season uh in cleveland as as they were scheduled to do on march 31st uh rise of right now they're scheduled to begin the season on april 8th against chicago or excuse me against cleveland at home um, so let's first talk about the kind of the cancellation of games, Matthew. You know, it seems kind of silly that MLB did this four weeks in advance. I mean, there's been shorter spring trainings in the past 20, just two years ago. There was like a three and a half week spring training before the, the COVID shortened season. Um, you know, what, what was kind of your re- reaction to Rob Manfred coming out like this and going ahead and canceling the first week of games? Well, I think um, what it did is it sort of confirmed some suspicions that I had really starting a couple of weeks ago um, uh, that I had pretty pretty strongly, which was that this was the the plan from from day one, from the moment Major League Baseball implemented the lockout. I think they wanted to either strong arm, arm the union into a specific deal or um, and yeah, they wanted to strong on the union into a specific deal and were plenty comfortable with using the delaying of the season to do so. Um, and there are a number of reasons why. The first is that the baseball, you know, they they locked out the players at the beginning of December. They had an offer in hand from the players. They didn't respond to the players for six weeks, right? So six weeks came and went. Um, and then they started like going back and forth a little bit and then closer to the self-imposed deadline that Major League Baseball did, to your point, like we don't necessarily have to have a four-week spring training. It was, it was their self-imposed deadline. And um, we had this this deadline and, and they sort of got down to business and they and, they and the players 
you know, hash some stuff out. And uh, to be fair, Major League Baseball did move much more in the last week than they had in the previous, you know, uh, since since the start of the offseason. So Major League Baseball did move some, but I think the whole the whole thing was to put in place this kind of artificial deadline and to have the guts to follow through with it. Um, so they knew that the players might not, you know, uh, accept their offer. And so Major League Baseball was perfectly fine with delaying the season. And I think that was the plan the whole time. And what really kind of sort of made it clear to me was the league basically, was it on um, Monday? I don't, it was on was it Monday um, when they had this just huge marathon session and at the end sort of the league kind of you know said you know we're we're, we're kind of confident you know we, we feel optimistic about this um and then um the next day the, the the day of the the deadline after they moved it back one day um they sort of said oh now the players oh man the players are just asking for too much like we thought we had something the day before and now the players are asking too much so it just seems like a whole concentrated pr effort to use the delay of the season as a weapon to strong arm uh, the players into accepting their, their deal. And it did not work. The players did not do so. Um, but I, I almost have to kind of respect major league baseball, the owners at least for sticking to their guns. Like they didn't move an inch. They had a playbook and they ran it perfectly. Um, it didn't work because the players are, you know, did not accept it. Um, and, you know, the season got delayed, but really, I mean, it's it's kind of in the owner's best interest at this point. Um, the season doesn't um, was it the 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 TV deals? They don't have to start giving rebates until there's like a month ish of delay. Um, then they have to start giving rebates. Plus, they have to play the payers players less because they're not you know playing those games, which is good for the owners. Plus, they still could get expanded playoffs, which is the source of, you know, a, a large part of the their, uh, what they were gun- gunning for and uh, is, a, is a big chunk of revenue. So all in all, it seemed like the playbook that they wanted to play. This was not a mistake. It was not, you know, it, this was their strategy and they did it. And I don't see how you could look at it in hindsight and say anything other than this seemed to be what they were going for from the beginning. Yeah, it did seem kind of a little bit orchestrated. I do think you're right that a lot of this was was kind of their playbook. It was interesting. Manfred did say, you know, we're going to shorten the season and the players will not get paid. I mean, one one thing that's kind of interesting is the players, they're they're not paid. I mean, they're paid, you know, in, you know, whatever, bi-monthly installments, but uh, they're not paid per game. Like, they're paid for the year. So, technically, if they play one game this year, you know, they're still kind of entitled to their salary. Um, but you know, obviously that's going to be a negotiating point, uh, when they sit down and talk again, because uh, I'm sure the, the owners are going to say, well, you're only playing 154 games or whatever it ends up being. We're not going to pay you for the, the full 162. And the players will say, well, we want the full 162 and the owners say, okay, well give us this. And you know, that, so that's, again, that's another, uh, you know, kind of bargaining chip. Uh, Sean, what was kind of your reaction to, to how things have played out so far? I mean, like. Matthew said, like, it seemed like we were getting kind of a drip, drip, drip um, leaks of, oh, this is going pretty well. Like, they're, at least they're talking. There's some movement. And then um, I think, curiously, you know, Jeff Passan, who's pretty reliable on this, the, the stuff, was, was pretty quiet 
um, and and it turned out that, that that maybe things weren't as close as, as we thought. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that like bothered me the most, and I mean, I agree, you know, pretty much everything Matthew said. Um, I think in pretty much what everybody on Twitter and everywhere has really said. I mean, it's 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 uh, it's almost unanimous how much people have picked kind of the player side, which in and to be honest, I'm maybe the most like. I don't know what the word is, but I'm maybe the most fair weather or fair weather's wrong word. I'm sorry, the most like middle of the road kind of person where it's like, you know, if the players are at fault, I'll call out the players. If the owners are at fault, I'll call out the owners. And, you know, there's some people who just uh, like to lick the boots of the owners or they will just kind of always have the players. But I, I think I'm pretty fair on that. And I mean, it's it's pretty unanimous. And I agree as well that it's, you know, the owners are really just just be just turds at this point about things um and I, I really the thing that rubbed me the 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 wrong way the most um is the self-imposed deadline and they took a 47 day holiday and then they said oh we got to do this now otherwise our our own deadline um is going to be you know hit and so i just think it was mostly bad faith um and you know not that the players are perfect themselves either but i still think that the the owners just didn't come with it and as i've kind of stated is that i think uh um the owners can take an interruption of kind of cash or you know payment they can they can take an interruption on that far greater than any many players can um you know because one in the most important point is they're richer but also two they have other cash flows, right? Like the like John Henry owns like uh, oh, I forget all the teams he owns, but he owns a bunch of different teams. Um, uh, you know the Guggenheim's, the Guggenheim partnership. They own the Dodgers. They own a bunch of other things. Uh, what's his name? The Illiches. They own uh, like the Red Wings and several other places. So it's kind of like you know it, it's it's yeah one part of their income is kind of down, but you know they still got so much money to offset that that they can live through it. Um, but you know guys like you know maybe minor leaguers or guys who are even on the 40 man um, can't quite take the bumps as easy because you know they're even though they're you know still fairly wealthy relative to the after american they still you know are kind of getting screwed over by um, a, a much wealthier force yeah it's I, i'm curious to see I, I think you're right online at least it's been very much on pro player among the fans but you know twitter's not real life um and i'm curious what kind of like public polling would say where where the fans are in general i was listening to talk radio today and like there was a guy that was just kind of going on a rant about how angry he was and it just i was like okay here comes the you know these greedy players but but he was like no these greedy owners i hope the players you know (laughs) stick it to the owners i'm like okay well that's interesting that's that's a different point that i was expecting so you know it, it it definitely seems like the media is much more for the players than it was in 94 In 94. I remember, um, you know, I think that the reporters were, were, were probably balanced, trying to be pretty balanced, but there was definitely an air of like these, these owner, these players are going on strike and they're ruining the game and they're being greedy and, you know, salaries are out of control and they need to, you know, concede more. Uh, whereas this time around, you know, there's some of that, but it's mostly been these owners are making a lot of money and they're really trying to stick it to the players, and we kind of see through a lot of their PR, you know, BS, frankly. And uh, you know, some of the yeah, like some of the things like Matthew was saying, like the some of the things are that are obviously PR. I think people are kind of seeing through their ruse quite a bit and calling them out on it, which is was is a market difference from '94. Uh, I don't know if you guys want to get too into the weeds, but I, I on what the, on the issues they're talking about. But just looking at Jeff Passan's tweets from Tuesday, um, you know, his all. It's frustrating is these two sides are not very far apart, in my opinion. 
Um, now maybe, you know, the players would disagree or the owners would disagree, but like the owners are offering a $220 million luxury tax. Players are offering $238 million. Um, now the amounts go up by different amounts. Uh, but you know, there's a number in between there, you know, 229 million, you know, start from there. The uh, amount that would go to pre-arbitration players, the players want, uh, 85 million, the, the owners are offering 30 million. Uh, there's a number in between there, you know, uh, what can you work with there? And as far as the minimum wage, it's like, the difference is like, um, $50,000 a difference, um, you know, split the difference and call it a day. So I, I don't know, Matthew, like it, to me, it seems like the, the shenanigans the owners have done. The, the, the sentiment, the, the, the animosity from the last round of negotiations a couple of years ago, I feel like, you know, there's been more, it's been more personal than like, like looking at the numbers, you would say, okay, these two sides aren't that far apart, but it just seems like there's a lot of kind of personal feelings getting in the way. Oh, definitely. I, I definitely think that's the case. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, if listeners remember two years ago during the sort of pandemic shortened season and there was this whole thing where um the the players got you know very mad at the owners for basically saying in in varying ways like we'll pay you um you know 80 games at half salary or 40 games at full salary you're just basically offering the same kind of deal just in like different organizations um that 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 was kind of amusing in hindsight compared to this but uh you know that i think that was really kind of like the catalyst that that was there was you know, a perfect opportunity for baseball to capture the nation's attention and be the first major sports league back from, you know, fat back, back from being, uh, you know, postponed. And then they had this sort of bickering. I do think that there is some, some sort of animosity there clearly. And there's some sort of personal distrust. I mean, how, how could you, um, how could you not, I guess when the core issue is that, um, Really, when it gets down to it, the core issue is that the revenue for the league is not growing for each side in the same proportion. And what I mean by that is the league's revenues have gone up, but the league's payroll has actually gone down. Um, you know, the last the highest payroll has been recently is, uh, I think, something like 2015 or 2016. And it's actually gone down uh, since then. Now, obviously, you know, COVID COVID is an impact, but uh, the revenue went up in, in pre-COVID years uh, up to, I think, it's $10.7 billion in 2019. And uh, payroll the last couple of years before that just stayed stagnant. Um, and then when you look at sort of like the graph for the last 20-ish years, since about 2003, um, the the it's a little slower but it's still happening where the league revenue is growing at a greater rate than it's going to the players and i think that's really the core of the issue um and to your point max obviously you know it seems from the outside we just pick a number in the middle right um and they're they aren't really that far apart especially with you know the 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 minimum salary i think that that should be an, an easy one. Um, it's it's the competitive balance tax. That's that's the real sort of uh, hard thing to nail down. Um, but when the core issue is that the players are getting continually less and less of the pie, then I think that's really sort of the root of that. And when the owners aren't budging at all, I think that's where some of the animosity stems from because the owners and the players both know that the owners are getting a bigger slice of the pie and the owners are not giving up very much. Um, and so that also from a player's perspective means, you know, why would we meet in the middle when there is what we could, um, get, 
you know, get our rightful share, you know, which on one hand, I, I totally understand that. But, um, you know, at some point you got to sort of get a deal done. You can't do everything in one uh, negotiation. At some point you got to start thinking long term. And I don't think it's in baseball's best long term interests for the sport to not have, you know, 162 games. We were already we've already suffered a, a ding there and we will continue to suffer um, baseball will continue to suffer in the eyes of the public if more and more games get canceled. That's a big part of it, too, is how the public will view baseball now that games are getting canceled. And now that's part of it. That's going to be a fun kind of X factor, which could play for both sides. Yeah, I want to talk about the kind of the impact on fans here in just a minute. But, but uh, you know, you talked about f- players getting their, their fair share of the revenue. And I think one solution that, that we talked about last week um, was, was kind of pegging uh, you know, player compensation to revenues, which is something the unions kind of battled against. Uh, they, they just kind of have a philosophical opposition to it. And Sean, you weren't here last week to have part of that discussion, but um, you know, this is something they're going to have to negotiate every time it comes up. What should the luxury tax number be if they were to peg it to you know a certain amount of revenues? That, that obviously you'd have to negotiate that. Um, you know, you start. You know, that opens the door, I think, to a salary cap. But you could argue that they have a cap already in the luxury tax. Why not, you know, peg it to revenues, make sure you get your fair share and, and get a floor. Um, what's kind of your feeling on, on, uh, on should, you know, if the player should be maybe taking that tack instead? Yeah, I mean, I think the salary floor is a, a good idea um, when implemented right. But I just don't I don't I just don't think it's ever I don't think at least now it's going to happen. I mean, maybe it will happen at some point uh, years from now, but I just think it's not a realistic um, option. Um, you know, I, I think I think the players giving room on the CBT is, is way, way more likely um, than the owners giving a, a single inch of ground on, on a minimum spend. So um, I, I think I really would like and, um, you know, Max, you and I have talked about this on Twitter a bit with each other that it's like, you know, the players are using um, the and we're going to talk about the expanded playoffs here in a bit, but I, they're using that. That's a bargaining chip. And I, I know you and I have gone back and forth on, well, is it actually a value itself with the players? I think it's more of just like a, a pure um, just uh, just a. Uh, uh, just a chip in in itself only. Uh, I don't I don't really think it matters that much for the players. Beat twelve or fourteen teams, um, but I do think that the CBT is not as important to me as things like uh, from from the players' perspective. Things like um, minimum salary, right? That affects every single future player, many current players. Um, in the CBT, in my opinion, really only affects the upper kind of echelon of free agents and teams. The Royals are probably never going to be pushing. The Rays are never. The Oakland's never going to really be pushing that upper threshold of the CBT. But they're going to be playing. They're going to be paying players minimum salaries. That's that's just they have to. That's just the way it works. Um, and so I think if I was players, I would focus on trying. I, I would give the ground on the 14 team playoff. Take a lower CBT um, and get a, a nice increase on the um, the minimum salaries. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you on that point. I think if they wanted to really do right by like the, the guys coming up, you'd really focus on the minimum wage and fin- focus on the the pre-arbitration bonus pool where they get money to yeah. the fir- you know players in the first two years. Whereas yeah, the CBT, you're, I think you're right. It 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 does have an impact on salaries in that it kind of flattens you know squashes the amount of compensation they can get overall, but um, 
you're right. It's only a couple teams that are really impacted, and and, you, and still you can you can go over it if you want to. I mean, the Dodgers have gone over it before. Um, it's just a you know you pay some penalties for it. Um, you talked about expanded playoffs. I did want to talk about that a little bit. It does seem like the two sides agree on expanded playoffs, but I think you're right. The the, the players don't see it as as big of an advantage and want to use it as a bargaining chip. Um, they they kind of held firm on 12 teams in the playoffs, whereas owners would like 14 and it came out that uh, reportedly they have a 100 million dollar deal with ESPN if they are to get get it to 14 uh, I think with 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 12 teams it would be something like 85 million um, Matthew what's kind of your stance on expanding the playoffs um, is there a number that you'd like to see or, or are you kind of holding firm with what what uh, the, the, the current status quo uh, I'm okay with uh, 12 I think 12 is okay Um I'm less okay with 14 in part, well, mostly in part, just because I think when you expand to 14 teams, then you really kind of get to teams that kind of shouldn't be in the playoffs. And we saw that a little bit here in the NFL season, right? So they expanded the playoffs and everybody who got in at the bottom just sucked. (laughs) And it was just very clear. Like there was a huge gap between those teams and the, the, upper half of the teams and you know major league baseball is different any team can beat any other team at any given night and you know you win 60 percent of your games as opposed to 85 percent of your games like the the best teams you know do in in the national football league but with all that being said i think i think 12 is good but i also think 14 isn't really that bad um i'm really curious to see if there's any hard data that says that increasing playoff teams um decreases overall payroll i know there are a number of people who are concerned that because mediocre teams get into the can get into the playoffs um that sort of disincentivizes mediocre teams from spending money and on one hand, I, I, I kind of get that. But on the other hand, I just don't think that's really going to be the case. I mean, they don't give a slip of paper to every team at the beginning and say, hey, you're an 83-win team. Teams have to kind of decide if they're an 83-win team, um, uh, if they think they're an 83-win team. And also in the middle of the season, you know, um, as far as, you know, taking on salary um, and, you know, trying to upgrade their, their team in the middle of the season, you know, um, it you have to kind of determine whether or not that's something that you want to do um, or try to address it at the beginning of the offseason. You know, teams don't know how good they're going to be. And I think regardless of how good a team is, you're going to try to get better. And what I think that expanding the playoffs is more likely to do, at least for the mediocre teams, is to um, open the door for other teams who would not otherwise spend money to spend some money. So let's say you're tracking for 78 wins um, and you finish the season with 78 wins next season, you know, maybe you think that you can make it into the playoffs. And so you go out and you splurge on someone and try to get you over the hump. And I think there are more teams at 78 wins trying to get over the hump to, you know, 82, 85 wins than there are teams at 86 wins trying to get over the hump to 90. Um, I think that is more likely to be the case. But I don't really know. Um, I, I'm very curious to see if anybody has any, you know, hard data on it because it's it's just kind of speculation at this point. Like, yeah, we, we can talk about it until, you know, our lips are blue, but do does anybody really know or are we just like guessing? So 
from from the player payroll perspective, I I you know I don't really think it'll actually be that that big of a difference. It's more of a quality of baseball teams in the playoffs kind of thing. Sean, you've been kind of a skeptic of the claim that it's going to disincentivize teams from spending. What, what's what's uh, What's your uh, what's your kind of your thoughts on expanded playoffs and is there a number you'd like to see? Yeah, I mean, I don't mind fourteen. Um, I was fine with the the the, the recent move, um, or you know, the the most recent playoff expansion. Um, you know, I just I think I think that there's a a lot maybe better ways that you could focus on upping um, team spending uh, than than that um, because I just don't think a team. I think maybe you could see a team sign another guy or two, um, and so let's just call it let's just call it twenty million bucks. Um, a team could make, could spend that right to maybe move up the curve a little bit, uh, maybe become rather than an eighty five win team, try to be like an eighty seven win team. But you know what? I mean, those eighty those teams that start out the season thinking, okay, I think we're at least a five hundred, maybe a little bit better team. Like they're not even historically, they haven't really even gone like really kind of hardcore at it. They've kind of been more wait and see mode. Um, you know, you really, I think, I, I think that you, if you took a team, like I'm trying to think like maybe the 2013 Royals, uh, who ended up finishing 500. And I, I don't know what the internals projections for the Royals thought of it coming off of 13, but I think they certainly optimistically thought themselves as um, a playoff team, but you know, it's, it's not like they went out and, and ran some a gigantic, you know, $180 million payroll and spent all this money and whatnot. No, they kind of had their home core group of guys. Yeah, they spent a bit and they bolstered the overall team, but it wasn't a sense of like, oh man, we now we got to go spin big because we're right there. So I just don't think that teams um, are going to be doing that. And and a lot of that too is like, it's it's not just it's not really no, only theoretical. A lot of it too has got to be like, okay, Oakland's not going to do that. They're always kind of around there. Cleveland's always kind of around there. Um, uh, you know, Tampa is used to always rather now that they're a freaking 95 win team every year, but it's stuff like that where it's like, okay, yes, you maybe you get a little bit of impact from that, but one, I don't think you're going to get much, and two, you're only going to get a handful of teams that are, are probably going to even going to go out and do that, right? Um, the Yankees are going to do the Yankees are going to spend regardless, Dodgers, uh, all these you know, kind of mega Boston, they're all going to go spend anyways. So if you're trying to push them to spend more, that's not the way. If you're trying to get Oakland to spend more, that's probably not the way either. I just think that you should find a better way to target the money than trying to, um, you know, think like, oh, we're going to push – teams are going to spin their way up the curve, which I think at that kind of point of the curve, it's just not going to happen. They're, they're probably just going to go uh, promote their prospects quicker or um, just kind of give kind of their internal guys more playing time rather than go buy um, a free agent. I do wonder, though, if you see, like, some bigger market clubs that maybe get off to disappointing starts, um, and if there are more playoff spots, and they're in July, and they're around 500, like the Mets last year, let's say, and they can say, well, we're not playing that well, but, you know, there's more playoff spots, and as long as we get in the tournament, you know, we can make a run, and that can get our fan base excited for next year. I do wonder if you'll see, you know, maybe they they would make a push and, and, and trade for a player. I guess that doesn't really impact salaries midseason, but... Um, you, you know, I think I wonder if there there are some teams maybe at the fringes that would want to make a, more of a push. Um, I'm a purist. I I still would like, I, mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I would just like one team from each league to make the World Series. And I threw out the crazy idea, you know, like of doing like a soccer model where like you know in soccer they play for all sorts of cups and you know have each team 
in the world in the, the the best team in each league play for the World Series, but then have you know have a an exciting sixteen team playoff. Uh, for the rest of the teams, the you know, next 16 best teams, and have a one-game, you know, t- winner-take-all knockout tournament uh, to generate some excitement. Would people watch that? I don't know, but uh, uh, they, I'd they rather see that than like a, an 83-win team in the World Series. Yeah, I mean that's what college basketball is, right? You've got a regular season winner, you've got a tournament winner, then yeah. you've got the big tournament winner, right? I mean, like it exists in American sports it, in the MLS, just like this too. They've got multiple cups. Um, so yeah, I mean. I think that's I think that's a cool idea. I think certainly um, it would bring more viewership, uh, bring audience audiences in. Um, and, you know, it would. The, the thing is, is that I. And this isn't to your point at all, but you know, baseball does not seem to be very focused on growing their audience. <laughs> they just seem more focused on squeezing money from ESPN and yeah. Disney and NBC and, you know, all of the networks as opposed to actually getting more viewers. Yeah. Well, and I was just thinking too, like what, what really benefits, uh, you know, college basketball and March Madness and the NFL is that it's one event. It's a one event off Whereas baseball is a series. It's harder to captive, you know, captures people's attention for a seven game series or a five game series. So, you know, maybe something like that would, would generate a little more excitement, but that's not going to happen anytime soon. I was fine with the current, um, current format. I thought that if you're going to have a wild card, this makes sense. Uh, moving it to 12, where they would have um, kind of the top team would get a buy, and then the, the remaining, uh, you know, the other re- remaining teams would kind of battle it out. I mean, that makes some sense to me. Um, but uh, yeah, once you get, I think I read an article a couple weeks ago about expanded playoffs, and I think once you get to 14, that's when you start seeing the the 80 win teams make the playoffs with a little more frequency, which I mean, look, we, you know, the Cardinals won a World Series, what, seven, eight years ago with 83 wins. I mean, it's happened before. The Twins won a World Series in 1987 with like 87 wins or so. So it's not like under the old format, we didn't have mediocre teams, you know, going on runs. But um, I don't know. I guess I'm just an old, old purist at heart and don't want to see any kind of change. Um, Speaking of kind of baseball fandom, um, if we do see a prolonged work stoppage, um, you know, the, the big lesson learned from 1995 is that that's pretty devastating to the sport. Uh, Travis Sawchick posted an article today on Twitter from 538 uh, from a couple years ago about uh, how much do work stoppages hurt attendance. And then in 1981, when there was a work stoppage that cost about 60 games in the middle of the season, attendance went down seven, 6.8% the next year. Uh, the 1994-95 work stoppage, attendance went down 20%. It didn't fully recover until 2008. Uh, and that's when the sport was kind of growing. Uh, baseball is not really in a growth period right now, at least with attendance. Matthew, what kind of impact would you expect if we see an extended work stoppage that costs a significant amount of games at this point? I think that it's certainly not good, uh, right? Um, but how bad will it be? That's That's going to be something. I think that baseball is in a different spot than it used to be um even in 1995 um you know like granted that's almost 30 years ago at this point it's not exactly you know super recent um there have been a number of technology changes but i think we've seen um the rise of kind of the nba and nhl and mls all sort of carving out unique spots in the sports culture where i don't think that they were quite as much 
you know, like that in, in 1994, 1995. Obviously, you know, they were popular, but I think that they have um, really kind of, you know, done well with this transition to, um, you know, digital, the digital landscape in a way that Major League Baseball hasn't. And this is, let alone um, in comparison to all of the other um, things that have happened and how many industries, uh, entertainment industries have just, you know, grown a, a super lot. Um, you know, one thing is, is like the video game industry in 1994, 1995. Uh, you know, if you were around then, you know, that video games were, were considered toys, you know, at that point. And now it's, you know, it's a bigger industry than, than film is. And baseball didn't have to compete with, um, games in the same way that um, that it does now, and now there's esports, and now there's all this stuff. So all of that is to say, there's a lot more competition than there used to be. Um, but just one, you know, one anecdote about this. Um, one of my coworkers uh, who knows that I write for Royals Review, we were talking, and and he asked me, how many games uh, do you think that that will end up playing? And this was, let's see, it was early last week when I told him I think we'll have 150. So. I still kind of stand by that, you know. I, I now that games are getting getting canceled, um, I think it's going to come pretty quickly, or it's going to take a really long time. There's not really any, any any in between. So, I think I'll stay with 150 for now. But but he asked me, you know, I said, I just think about 150, you know. Um, and then without prompting, he told me, um, so he's in his late 30s, you know, early early 80s, um, you know, date of birth. So he was, you know, uh, 10, 12 you know, 13 when the, um, when the, the strike the last time. And, uh, he, he told me, um, you know, the strike happened. Um, and you know, it just really, you know, killed me and just, just, you know, destroyed my spirits as a kid. And it was never the same for me after that. And I'm just thinking, you know, how many kids, are you know who may have watched their team go to the playoffs and all of a sudden baseball is not happening and there's all this animosity and um they just you know buy a xbox series x and never look back you know i think that baseball is in real danger of losing a lot of young people which it absolutely cannot afford to do the older people who are already fans of baseball they'll stick around they'll come back but what baseball is really really in danger of losing is the young fans who have grown to like it. And then all of a sudden it's not there, you know, they'll move on. And I think baseball is absolutely playing with fire. Yeah. I think one thing I've, I've read a lot on, on, on our site and on Twitter and just from people in general is like 19, they're like, yeah, 1995. That's when I, I didn't follow baseball at all. I'm a big baseball fan, but I just didn't follow it all. I, I was in, I was in high school at that time and I actually went off to college the next year. So I, I probably would have, lost interest in baseball no matter what because college there's a lot of distractions um but i, I kind of fell back into it pretty quickly uh, you know i'm an outlier like i think like you said the hardcore fans will be back but i i do worry about kind of the younger generation like my son plays baseball likes baseball quite a bit but you know he'll watch baseball highlights on youtube or twitter but he's not watching sitting down watching games necessarily uh, Sean, what do you think uh, the impact of a prolonged work stoppage would be on the game? Yeah, I mean, gosh, it, there's so many facets to it. Um, I mean, you know, we can at least all agree it's not good. But, yeah, it's, you know, it's a question of is it is it bad, is it terrible, or is it just, you know, not very good? Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, because I think, I think one of the great, one of the better things 
baseball has going for it is that it's in a nice part of the off season for it, football. It doesn't conflict with football that much. Obviously, you know, when September rolls around, it does. Um, but, you know, baseball's kind of reaching that kind of their home stretch. They've got the playoffs, so, so they can kind of soften the blow a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think you're you're kind of wasting a lot of the – maybe not appeal, but a lot of the eyeballs. Um, you've got everybody, you know, right now we're in that kind of quiet period for NFL. So – but you've got no games going. Um, so – I think I think that's a big hit, um, you know, and I think we always joke or it's that old meme of baseball is dying. And I, I don't necessarily think that's true is we've seen revenues go up every year. Um, but I, I do think that fans, including, you know, myself and I would think you guys and, and many others, or at least the kind of the ecosphere that I live in, um, a, a, a lot of us are siding more and more with the players, which is a good thing, I think. But a lot of us are, are jaded towards a lot of baseball stuff. And we've kind of seen the, you know, part of my language, but a lot of the bullshit that owners and the league themselves have put out. Um, and and, and I, th- I think that that's terrible for baseball, particularly a baseball fandom, right? Because you want to root for your teams and some teams have, you know, good owners. I think the Royals have, have a good owner um, and they have a, a GM who at least is a good person as a GM. Um, and so I think that, you know, there are pockets where this is good. But I mean, you know, if I, I if if you're, you know, the, the Rockies, um, if you're a fan of the Rockies, I mean, they they've been a pretty poorly run franchise recently and now you know their owner is kind of one of the three or four head mouthpieces of this ownership meeting uh, oh excuse me of this back and forth dialogue over the past week and you know this kind of screwed the players and so it's kind of like you know it's just it's not good i think we can debate about what levels of not good it is but i think we all agree it's it's just bad i mean even if you can't quantify it we can qualitatively say it's bad i do think a lot of it um will end up with um Wow, word salad. I think a big part of it will be how many games get canceled this year. So if, for instance, tomorrow they get a deal together and the games stop at six six games canceled, I don't think that's going to be a big deal. Um, I don't think people will, you know, much remember it um, so much. Um, however, if, say... 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 games get canceled or, you know, God forbid, if we lose the season, that's when things are going to, you know, really, really uh, get bad for the reputation of the sport. I think there is a little bit of a Goldilocks uh, point and we're, we're in it now where the games can get canceled and in COVID times, you know, a lot of stuff gets canceled and I don't think that it's going to be a really big deal until we get to a substantial amount of games canceled. So we're kind of in a Goldilocks situation here, um, which is its own sort of playing with fire. If I can, if, if I can, it's, I'm going to get on my, not my soapbox, but I'm going to get my always hot take that I've had for the, I think the past few podcasts now, it's like, if this can get us to a fewer amount of baseball games, which I'm totally fine with, if we could get the 153 baseball games and this is like, Oh, Hey, the season can still be enjoyable missing 11 games um, or, or nine games, excuse me. Um, that, that's a, that would be a benefit in my, my eyes. I mean, I'm, I'm for, a, for a shortened season. I'm also for a shortened games of seven innings per game. But we'll leave that alone for now and say I think that there maybe could be some benefit in that. Um, maybe we could reduce the season to – because it, it is a tough sell to have a 14-team playoff in a 162-game season, right? I think that it's – I think it would be much easier pill to swallow – 
a 14 game, excuse me, a 14 team playoff with 153 or 140 X um, number of games to kind of shorten it and, you know, uh, kind of just make it easier on the players as well. Yeah, no, I was just going to bring that point up that there's been kind of uh, some fans, I think, like you included, have been kind of pushing for a little bit of shorter of a season. And, you know, for a long time, the argument is, well, the owners will never take less, less, n- less number of games to take gate revenue. And now I think we're finding out that the owners don't, don't care if there's fewer games to take gate revenue as long as they get those playoffs. And it actually probably they probably be OK with it. Um, and, and the players, you know, if they can get more off days out of it, um, you know, at least in the postseason. Uh, maybe they would approve it as well. So, yeah, we could see this. You know, we play 154 this year, and everyone's like, "Well, that worked out pretty well. Let's uh, let's make that permanent." Um, I'm like I said, I'm a purist, which I know it used to be 154 games a long time ago, but I've gotten used to 162, so I don't want to see that change. But um, you know, 154, I could probably live with. Uh, let's take a break. I'll talk to uh, Lou Schiff, and then we'll wrap. Come back with uh, Matthew and Sean to wrap things up. Well, joining me now is Judge Lewis Schiff. Judge Schiff is a Florida County Court judge, but each summer he teaches a class called Law and the Business of Baseball at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law in Minnesota. He's also written a book titled Baseball and the Law, and he's here to talk today to talk to us a little bit about today's labor issues. Lou, thanks for being on today. Well, thanks for having me, Max. Pleasure to uh, pleasure to be here. Let's talk a little bit about how we got here. The uh, the, the collective bargaining agreement expired way back on December 2nd, uh, about three months ago, leading owners to lock out the players. Uh, but they didn't really have any official talks for 43 days uh, until mid-January when owners finally made another proposal to players. I've heard some people kind of mention the terms like good faith negotiating. What does that mean exactly, and could the owners be accused of not negotiating in good faith? Let's take it one step back to when the lockout occurred, Okay. So let's let's pull it all the way back to the lockout itself, if we can, just for a minute, Max. Okay. Sure. So, when the collective bargaining agreement expired at the end of last season, it meant that the players and the owners, in order to go forward, would have to enter into a, a new agreement. However, if the players and the owners couldn't agree to something. The owners didn't have to lock the players out. The owners, by locking the players out, drew a line in the sand, and they didn't have to do that because they could have simply said, we're going to try to negotiate. Let's have spring training. Let's see what we can do. Let's, let's get baseball ready. You know, we just came off a real nice World Series. People are now back in baseball. We had that disastrous 2020 season. 2021 obviously is better. We played a full year. But the owners decided to unilaterally tell the players, you can't come to work. And they didn't have to do that. They could have said, let's sit down and talk. Come on to work, and we will negotiate what we need to negotiate. So when you say is somebody bargaining in good faith, it all depends. But that's a... So to be bargaining in good faith, the, the, the owners did certain things. And I, 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 I'll be candid. It, it, the owners appeared to and looking for headlines. Instead of headlines, the owners should have been welcoming the players. Because what we have right now is a total breakdown of baseball. You have billionaires and millionaires, and there's no agreement. And the fans are going to walk away from the game. And, and what's going to happen when fans walk away from the game, 
there's there's not going to be anybody to watch baseball anymore. So I, I, it doesn't make any sense to me why you'd lock people out. You make the point that the owners locked them out, and I think a common misperception is that you need a labor deal in order to do any baseball activities. But that doesn't that's not exactly the case. If I recall correctly, in 1995 or 1994, they they actually played started began the season without a collective bargaining agreement in place, and that's why the players went on strike later in the year when negotiations kind of break down. What what are kind of the ramifications if they were if owners were didn't have a lockout and they began the season? What are the ramifications of beginning a season without a labor deal in place? Well, you would go back to the prior the prior deal, and you would do that with the understanding that, however, whatever we negotiate, it will be effective back to the beginning of the season. Is there a risk that the players could strike? Well, sure, there's a risk that the players would strike, but with so much at stake and and so much to lose, you would think that the parties would look at each other and say, "We don't want our fan base watching." the NBA finals ahead of us. We don't want our fan base turning on hockey. We don't want our fan base becoming enthralled by soccer. We want our fan base to say our fan base. We want the youth of, of this country to, to be interested in baseball. Uh, baseball is boring to a lot of young kids. And if you're going to take baseball off the table, there's plenty of other things that, 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 that kids you know can do online or, or outside that that they don't need baseball for and both both sides are, are looking at hurting baseball they could have started the season on, on on March 31st and I don't know why they didn't start the season on March 31st Manfred didn't have to lock him out he could have said I'm opening up we haven't made an agreement I'm opening up the clubhouses we're going to start baseball March 31st. We really want to get this done. Let's work together. Because what baseball told us is that we're willing to blow away seven games of the season. So we're going to say we don't even care about 5% of our season. Season ticket holders. You know, I'm like, wow, you don't even care about 5% of your season. You know, So how about all the other people you're hurting? How about the, the folks that depend upon baseball to make a living, maybe a second job, the cooks? The, the people that sell the hot dogs and the beer, the people that keep the stadiums nice and clean, the security people that work part-time, the folks in spring training that open up their their, their restaurants in, in, in Florida, right here in Florida or out in Arizona. Now they have no income because Major League Baseball decided to lock out players. Yeah, and it'll be the second time in three years for, for a lot of those, uh, those folks having to deal with a shortened season. So, yeah, this is going to be a huge impact. <laughs> At one point, you know, the owners in the negotiations suggested using a federal mediator. Uh, what, mm-hmm. What's kind of the benefit and the downside to going with that approach? And is that still even a, an option at this point? Well, it could always be an option, but I think what the owners did, they were, again, I think it was for publicity. We want a federal mediator to come in, and the player said, we don't need a mediator. We just we need to sit down and talk. The, par- the parties didn't talk for, what, 70 days almost? Mm-hmm. They, they, they lock them out in December, and the first thing they say is, we won't talk until January. That, that doesn't make any sense. They knew, what was, they knew what the deadline was, and so for three days this past week, they tried to do something, and, and they're supposed to be patted on the back because they stayed up past the Cinderella hour one night to try to get things done. This should have been worked out a long time ago. It kind of like reminds me of when I, you know, like when I teach and, and somebody waits for the last minute to hand in their homework, and I go, <laughs> but you had all semester to get it done. You know, don't tell me how you pulled an all-nighter. 
You had you had 150 days to get this done, and now you pulled one all-nighter and you're exhausted? No. Yeah, after that all-nighter on Monday, they, they negotiate for 15 hours and you know gave a lot of fans some hope, but but uh, the owner sent over their, their proposal to the players on Tuesday only to have it rejected, which led to the cancellation of games. And there's some people in the media called it a, a best and final offer, but Man, Rob Manfred was really quick to kind of dispute that. Is there a legal legal ramification to to calling it a best and final offer, and what 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 would have that have have triggered? Well, it's not a best. We know it's not a best and final offer because the, the players' association said they're not going to go to work for that. So it's not a best and final offer. There, somewhere between what the players want and somewhere between what the owners want is your solution. And 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 they're going to have to work it out. And they're going to have to work it out quickly, or again, they're going to lose the interest of fans. And, and we're going to have 1994 all over again, where we start a 1995 season and fans just don't care. But if that's what baseball wants, then that's just what baseball is going to get. They know what the ramifications are of, of, of doing what they're doing. It's, it's like telling a kid, hey, don't dive into the shallow end of the pool. You could get hurt. And then the kid goes, well, I'm going to dive into the shallow end of the pool. No, don't dive in there. You're going to get hurt. Major League Baseball locks the players out. Should they be surprised that now they can't play the first week of baseball when they really still could play the first week of baseball if they wanted to? You mentioned uh, 94, and and back in that work stoppage, the owners had the great idea to use replacement players, uh, which uh, didn't go over that well. Uh, But they they kept them in camp up until the the eve of opening day and until the, the strike finally ended. Um, after an order by Judge Sonia Sotomayor, um, is that is that a possibility? I know no one's really raised that as a possibility. I think because that experience went so poorly. But is that something that the owners could do if they wanted to? Certainly, there's no agreement with the labor union now, right? There's no agreement. There's no labor union. So, are the owners trying to bat, break the back of the union so so the union doesn't exist anymore? I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to have to sit down and 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 make some agreements. Folks don't want to see replacement players. If you want to see exciting baseball, though, for example, the American Association of Independent Baseball, which is a Midwest organization, and I think uh, they have, what, the Kansas City T-Bones are one of the teams yep. out, out in your area. Yep, that's and, right. And, and, uh, right? And, 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 and Josh Schwab is the commissioner of that league. Really great guy. You should have him on your show one day. Really great guy. They, they figured out how to play baseball in COVID before Major League Baseball figured out how to do baseball in COVID. That's exciting baseball to watch. I've seen it. Why? Because the level of competition is there. You know what you're watching. You're watching young athletes, usually under 23, 24, maybe a little bit older than that, who are competing and hoping for a chance at a minor league contract. You're watching some ball players who may have had some time in the show who now want to get back to the show. Um, so you know what you're watching, but you can't stamp that and call it Major League Baseball. So fans, if, if, if the owners bring in replacement players and put a stamp on it and call it Major League Baseball, I mean, it's like giving me a, a bottle of beer and telling me it's fine champagne. It doesn't matter what you stamp it. I know what it is. Yeah, and I think the emergence of some of these leagues, like it goes back to your point about how there are other things to do now. If you want baseball and there's no Major League Baseball, you've got other avenues 
to watch it. And uh, I should have mentioned, too, I forgot that the, the T-Bones actually rebranded as the Monarchs a couple years ago to kind of as a salute okay, to the Negro right. League. Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. I, I'm, used to, yeah, I'm used right. to them being the T-Bones for so long. Um, what, what do you kind of expect to happen at this point? I mean, we I, I think the owner said that they wouldn't uh, engage again until uh, tomorrow. Uh, the, 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 the clock is kind of ticking here. What are some scenarios you see where this could be resolved, or is this something you expect to to drag on for, for quite a while? Boy, I, if I if I had a, if I had that crystal ball, uh, <laughs> I'd be baseball commissioner. If I had the crystal ball, I would. I, I, I'd like to get both sides in a room and get it settled in a half hour. Uh, and 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 I haven't been a judge for twenty five plus years. You can get people to settle. One of the greatest things about going to court with cases is that you can empower people to go to mediation and resolve their cases. And when both parties leave mediation with a settlement and they both say the other side got a better deal, you know you have a good mediation. And the purpose of the mediation is to to put people that are at odds with each other to sit down and reasonably talk about their issues until they can come to some common ground. Now, there is common ground. They, They both, the players need the owners and the owners need the players. The owners are going to have to to give in. The players are going to have to give in. And it's just a matter of, why don't you just both give in? Because, all, you know what this reminds me of? Years ago when I was a, a young lawyer, I did some family law work. This is the mother and the father yelling and berating each other in front of the children. And, and, and so the children don't know what to do. They don't know whose side to be on. The children, they will suffer as a result of it. Now, Major League Baseball and the Players Association fighting, I don't mean physical fighting, but not coming to an agreement. The, the fans are the children. The fans are going to say, I, I don't need this aggravation. I, these aren't nice people. Why do I want to give these people my money? I can go do something else. I'll, I'll take up golf. I'll play tennis. I'll, 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 I'll play pickleball. I'll, I'll do something else. I'm, I'm just not going to. Why am I interested in baseball now? Why should I be interested? I'll, I'll watch high school games. I'll watch college games. I'll watch independent baseball games. I'll watch the uh, the wood bat games up in uh, New England. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll find local kids that like to play ball, and I'll go there. It's just as much fun. Yeah, and hopefully they can find some common ground and, and, get, and think about the larger picture of what this is doing to the damage to the game because uh, it's been ex- extraordinarily frustrating to have a second year in three uh, you know, shortened, and and who knows how how many games we'll actually get this year. But Lou, thanks so much for for kind of clarifying things for us. You can follow uh, my Lou, pleasure, Max. Yeah, and you can follow Lou at on Twitter at baseball and the law, uh, where he uh, tweets about no, no, it, the it's baseball. Oh, not that's no right, and it's baseball and law. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, where you, uh, you where it doesn't give me enough spaces to <laughs> where it doesn't give me enough spaces to do it that way. So it's just baseball and law. No, and I appreciate because you tweet interesting things like the uh, the Tom Seaver um, kind of legal dispute when he became a, a professional, which I'd forgotten about, and uh, and and Slugger, of course, the Royals mascot uh, had some had some litigation as well. So you can always find some some interesting stories about baseball's well, history. Baseball, the baseball rule itself, which says that a person that's injured at a baseball game with a ball has its origins in in in, in Missouri. Oh, really? And that was the Crane case. Yes, that was the Crane case uh, over 100 years ago where a fan was struck and the court said, no, the, the going to a baseball game, there's the, 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 the legal uh, 
theory of assumption of the risk that when you do something that might be dangerous, such as going to a baseball game, uh, there's a risk involved and uh, you can't sue for the injuries. Now, the, the case you talked about with Slugger is a little different. In Slugger's case, Slugger was shooting the hot dogs out of the gun, and he didn't actually shoot the hot dog out of the gun. He tossed it. He hit a, a, a gentleman in the eye. He allegedly got a, a, a detached retina. And there the court said, you know, there's a difference between being in repose in between innings and, 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 and waiting for a, a, a baseball to be hit. So the court said, no, the baseball rule doesn't apply to a tossed hot dog. It's a jury question. And, and so um, flying hot dogs are not protected under the, um, un, under the baseball rule and, your, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and toss T-shirts and shot t-shirts things like that that's not protected by the baseball rule but bats and balls are <laughs> flying hot dogs are not protected that's uh that'll, that'll be the one lesson we all learned today well lou thanks again right. so much flying for being on today yeah all right my pleasure all right appreciate it okay uh sean matthew gave his prediction of 150 games if you had to predict how many games we play this year what's what's your number I'm going to ride his back. I'm going to say 150 is good. Um, I, I think it's – so I know that the they, – they canceled – I'm sorry. It was the first two series they canceled, right? right? Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I think 150 is a good sweet spot. I might say – actually, I'll, I'll just say – ooh, I'll, I'll say 147. I think they end up canceling uh, another C- series of three after 150. So I'll say 147 will be my number. So, Matthew, it sounds like you think that we could have a deal here in the next, I guess, week or so. How do you kind of see this playing out? Uh, I think for I, – I don't know if this is the case. Maybe this is just my echo chamber. But I think that two things uh, could be driving factors. One, games are getting canceled. Like, it's real. It's no longer theoretical. Games are getting canceled. If more games gets canceled, that's bad press for everybody involved. Um, so that's, that's one thing. The other thing is that I have seen – Um, independent of fans, um, I have seen from a journalistic standpoint an almost unanimous just dragging the league and the owners through the mud. Um, Jeff Passan had just a scathing article, um, and he's, you know, the the wash of of baseball, uh, to to bring an NBA sort of metaphor in here. Um, And then Andy McCullough, who is always incisive and always a great writer, he was also just heavily criticized um, the the owners in the league. You have Rosenthal, who the league basically fired from MLB Network, and now he's over at the Athletic. He wrote, you know, some some pretty harsh things. Um, I've seen, I've read a couple of articles from um, just kind of you know city papers like Kansas City Star equivalent that have said pretty much the same thing. I haven't read a single piece of like I haven't read a single journalist say, you know what, I think that the you know the owners are are right here. You, you've seen maybe some some talking heads on you know ESPN maybe signed with them, but MLB like, Network <laughs> and, and on MLB Network, right? You've seen a little bit of that, but like almost exclusively, the people who write about baseball are just scathing. Like it's I don't I don't remember the last time that everybody was so involved or there was, was so you know on the same page about this like Dan Zimborski, uh some people over at Fangrass also on this like these very big and loud voices within the industry that have a lot of weight are unanimously criticizing the owners and i this started to happen 
like a couple days before their their like marathon session when it became clear that there might be some games canceled. I I think that pressure is maybe getting to them maybe a little bit. I don't know to what extent, but I think that the combination of those two things might be the pressure that kind of makes the the deal happen. And if it doesn't, then really the the floor could fall out, right? If both sides are entrenched and all this criticism towards the owners, which is, in my opinion, correct and, and right, if that doesn't bother them, we could be in a friend for a long haul. So that's why I say 150. I think, you know, it's either going to be 150 or like maybe not, maybe the season doesn't happen at all. Um, it's going to be one of those two things and at the very either either end. Well, I hope your optimistic look is is the more likely one. I, I you know, I've been pretty optimistic this whole time, which uh, perhaps hasn't been justified. But, uh, you know, I, I keep looking at the numbers. I'm like, you guys aren't really that far apart. Find a deal. Um, so, you know, to me, it seems like they should be able to get a deal done. I think in the next couple of days, um, whether or not they have the wherewithal to do it um, remains to be seen. I still I'm optimistic that they can get 150 plus games in. I, I agree with you guys, um, you know, at the very least 148. Um, but man, it just, <laughs> it just, it just not, does not seem to be going uh, well so far. I really thought by Monday or Tuesday, we'd have a deal done and here we are on Wednesday and there's still nothing. So, uh, hopefully next week we have better news to share. Uh, let's, let's leave it at that. Let's, uh, let's wrap things up with our Royals review reviews. Sean, let's, you can lead things off tonight. What do you have to, to share with us? Yeah, um, Oscars are in 25 days, and my wife and I, we typically have a nice little Oscar party. Um, we have some people over, just watch, play some games, whatnot. Um, it's the dorkiest thing we we do, but we do it. Um, so there are a couple films, and I'm, I won't, I'm not going to review or go depth into any of them. Just going to give uh, some films that I that are you know Oscar nominated and I think are cool. If you haven't seen them, uh, Don't Look Up is on Netflix. Very very good. Um, very political, obviously, um, but funny um, and just good. Uh, Nightmare Alley is good. Uh, it's on HBO Max now. I I stupidly spent money to I, I spent money to go see it on on a Friday, and then the, literally the next day it was released on HBO Max. I had no idea, so that was a nice waste of money when I already had my HBO <laughs> Max subscription. But anyways, um, House of Gucci is terrible. Don't go see it. Tic Tac Boom is okay. There's a really, really good movie on Netflix, um, The Power of the Dog. Um, it's got Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, oh, my gosh. Um, the, the married couple of Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons. Um, really freaking awesome movie. Um, it's on Netflix. Everybody has Netflix. It's, so, it's, you know, you have access to it. It's great. I think it's nominated for Best Picture. It's awesome. Uh, and then Dune. If you haven't seen Dune yet, I can't help you. You need to go see Dune. It's on HBO Max. Um, as well um, go check it out and um, yeah that's my uh, that's my quick take of some of the Oscar movies that are that are out there but um, I think Dune is the best of them but Power of the Dog is uh, really good as well uh, you know I actually went to, to the movie theaters this week for like the first time in forever uh, yeah me too and it wasn't well I'm sure my, the movie I saw wasn't as good as the one you did I saw Uncharted which wasn't it wasn't terrible but yeah, you know sure. my 13 year old wanted to see it so I took him to see it and uh, but you know the, the cheesy like uh, Nicole Kidman clip at the beginning, you know, where she they sing about the love of AMC theaters. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it's cheesy, but like I was like, oh yeah, I do kind of miss the theaters. Like, I kind of miss going, getting excited to watch a movie, and 
uh, I don't know. I've been on like since then. I've been watching at home, but I've been like, okay, I'm gonna sit down and watch a movie every night. And I'm, I'm, it's some of them are good, some of them are bad. But I kind of like getting back to watching movies, so I appreciate those recommendations. I'll have to check some of those out. Uh, Matthew, what do you have for us this week? Two quick comments. First, uh, the best theater for watching movies, in my opinion, is the Cinemark by the IKEA. The reason being is you can get like really cheap tickets, um, and AMC has. Like, for whatever reason, like, unless you go in a matinee, even if you go in a matinee, it's very expensive. Well, the Cinemark, um, I know it's not a Kansas City company, um, and I know that I'm only partially saying this because it's the closest theater to my house, um, but it is, uh, it's the place to go. And I just, I love going there just on like a Saturday afternoon and just like watching something, not getting popcorn, you know, seven bucks, you know, that's, that's pretty simple. Um, and the second thing is, uh, does Benedict Cumberbatch play an American in the Wild West? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it is, yes, it's the American West, and, like, he's like a cattle rancher. Um, and, yes, he does play an American, and, yes, there is some full frontal nudity of him as well. I I, I can't take Benedict Cumberbatch as... as he's good. As, he's really no, no, good. No, 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 no. I know That's his right. American accent is good. I know his American accent is good. It just feels wrong to hear Benedict Cumberbatch playing somebody in the American West, but uh, I digress. <laughs> my, uh, my review was review review. Uh, last week I talked about how good horizon zero dawn was still is. Um, I finished playing the main story of that last night. Instead, what I will say, um, another video game that's been really good that I've been enjoying lately. Um, if for months has been uh, halo infinite, which is the best halo since, potentially the best halo uh it has um like the combat in the multiplayer feels like it felt when you played halo 3 in 2007 in high school um drinking um game fuel like it feels that way without actually playing that way i don't know if you've gone back and played like the multiplayer of the older halos like they're kind of slow now but it feels you know feel it feels like that um that's just the best way to describe it and the um, the campaign is, I think, probably the best campaign of the whole series. It actually manages to tell, like, an emotional story. It has, like, three characters, three core characters. It's um, pretty self-contained, and it, you know, it makes you, like, feel emotions about a man who's stuck inside a suit of armor and who has been since 2001. <laughs> so um, this, this is a pretty pretty good writing and some some pretty good storytelling there so halo infinite it's great it's on xbox game pass so um you don't even have to buy the full game uh, to play the campaign plus the multiplayer is free hey matt really quick just because i thought of this and I, this is not really on top of what you said but it's somewhat on topic of what you're interested in um did you go did you go to so i saw stomp at the 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 casey uh, whatever it is, the the symphony theater, whatever the heck it's called. Um, uh, did you yeah. see the Star Wars, like, whatever the heck it was recently? I was um, there. Oh, the um, Return the of the Jedi. Land at the symphony. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I have seen them do Harry Potter, and I've seen them do Raiders of the Lost Ark. I've uh, not seen them do Star Wars, but I mean, those are two John Williams movies, so yeah. I, I've Max, seen them pretty similar. Did you go, Max? Yeah, we saw Return of the Jedi. We brought oh, all cool. three of our kids and. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I, it's just cool being there, and uh, we actually have a friend who's in. He's a violinist in the symphony, so it's kind of neat to see him play. But it's just it's really a neat experience. I and mean, when they play the 20th Century Fox theme song, like you get kind of chills. So it's it was pretty good. Oh, 
I, Stomp was going on at the exact same time as that. So I we were seeing that, and I, oh, okay. I saw all these people in Star Wars gear. I was like, what the yeah. heck is going on? <laughs> and there was characters. Like, people, they brought, like, characters. Like, R2-D2 was there. Chewbacca was there to take pictures with you. It was pretty neat. They do they go all out for it. Well, cool. Uh, so my uh, Royals Review review is um, I like to eat. And I'm getting back out to restaurants uh, and eating out again, which is nice. Uh, and this, so this is going to be a Kansas City restaurant. Sorry for those of you listening from out of town. But if you're ever in town, there's a place uh, on Maine downtown called Lula Southern Cookhouse. Uh, my wife is a huge fan of Southern food because she's from South Asia, I guess. And I don't, I don't know. She has, she just loves Southern, Southern food. Um, and so she was, she was been she's been dying to go there. And so we checked it out, and it was it was awesome. Uh, they had uh, these fried pigtails which were amazing. They, I had these, um, this pot pie, which I don't really like pot pies, but this is a pot pie with like, um, uh, jambalaya in it or no gumbo. I'm sorry. I always get confused. Those two. There's gumbo inside. Uh, and it was just so rich and awesome. And just so they had all this great Southern food. Um, not, not too crazy of prices. It was, it was pretty, pretty crowded. Um, and, uh, we just had a great time and I was really glad we went out. Uh, so definitely check out Lula's Southern cookhouse. I think it was a pop-up, for a while, but it seems like it's had some staying power. So I don't know if they're sticking around for good. Uh, but if you don't check that out, definitely check out some of your local restaurants in town uh, because uh, they could really use your business after two years of a pandemic. Lulu does a, a shrimp oil, right? A shrimp uh, yeah, oil. that's what she got. She loved it. Uh, my wife loves shrimp oils, and they had a really good one that she enjoyed quite a bit. Well, thanks again to uh, Lucia for his time, and thanks again to Sean and Matthew, and for from everyone at Royals Review Radio, we'll talk to you next time.